Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Hey, Movement Church, today we are finishing our series called Vital Signs. We've been saying that in medicine, uh, vital signs are a way that we can gauge our physical health. And this series is designed to talk about the vital signs that can help us gauge. They're not exhaustive, but help us gauge our physical health. And for that, we're gonna be turning today to Galatians chapter five, verse 25, into chapter six, verse five, to talk about our final vital sign, and that is being connected in community. And I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation. You know, before COVID, I would often have conversations with people that were new to the church. Not always uh, would these conversations go this way, but oftentimes a conversation would go something like this. You know, what brought you to Movement Church? And a lot of people would say, I'm looking for community. And we continue that conversation and I would get more and more uncomfortable inside as I thought to myself, you know what, these people probably aren't coming back. And you might be thinking to yourself, Trig, what do you mean? Shouldn't people be desiring community? And I would say absolutely to that. But this whole idea of looking for community is based on the assumption that community is just something to be found, that it's something that we stumble upon. But what I wanna talk to you about this morning is that to truly be connected in community, community is something that only can be built. It's something that only can be built. And you know, this word community is even interesting today when we think about it. In some ways, we live in the most communal world that there ever was. We're more connected than we've ever been. You can have a post, a picture, a like, a comment, a story be shared to thousands of people all across the world, making us feel more communal and more connected than ever. But sadly, in spite of this connected age that we live in, more people than ever before are reporting the fact that they're feeling disconnected, lonely, depressed. Why is that? How is this possible? Well, just as convenient as it is to be connected in the same way, while we think that we're connected, it's just as easy to be disconnected or to leave those types of communities that we think that we've created online or in our spheres of influence. This is why New York Times uh, columnist David Brooks calls the age that we're currently living the golden age of bailing. It's just as easy to bail on community as it is to hit cancel on your Uber ride. And this is no different in the church. You know, why do Americans even have the word church shopping? Because We want a place that has the perfect preacher, the perfect music, perfect groups, small groups, or lights, or (laughs) building. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled church. All those things are good, and you should pursue that until you find it. But the problem is, most people just bail, either on church or on their small group communities or on Bible studies, at their first point of disagreement or discontent or disillusionment. We're in the golden age of bailing. And this is not 
good for the church. One famous pastor once said, if you find the perfect church, please do not join because when you get there, you will screw it up. (laughs) And I love that. You'll screw it up because we're all imperfect people and community is not easy. But what sadly is happening right now is that when people are disconnected, the symptoms are suicide, depression, anxiety. They're skyrocketing because we are literally made for connection. We were literally made in the image of a God who is three persons in one God, communal and relational in nature. And now we're disconnected in more ways than we've ever been disconnected before. And COVID-19 has only added fuel to the flames of this fire. Now, this doesn't mean that this connection is easy. It doesn't mean that it's not uh, messy at times, but building biblical community is worth it. And Paul, I think, addresses what this community requires in his letter to the Galatians, starting at the end of chapter five. But if you read the rest of the book of Galatians, you'll see what I mean. It'll only take you about 25 minutes if you do that later today. And what you'll see is the church in Galatia that Paul is writing to is far from perfect. These are messy people, imperfect. They have their issues and they're fractured even in some ways. But Paul doesn't, this doesn't stop Paul from calling them higher to this biblical vision of community. And he gives them this vision of what it takes to build this solid community, a community that looks like the one that you and I were made for. And so if Christian community is built, it's not something that we stumble upon or that we just simply find. Let's look at what Paul has to say about how we actually build that community, starting in verse 25. Paul says this, since we are living by the Spirit. So Paul is talking here to Spirit-filled Christians, people that have the Holy Spirit. And he says, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So the first assumption here is that you can be a Spirit-filled Christian who doesn't follow the Spirit's leading, uh, um, and that we can go back and forth from following the Spirit's leading. And he says this, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share, most translations say bear, literally take on each other's burdens and in this way obey or fulfill the law of Christ. If you think that you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get your satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for we are each responsible for our own conduct or load. So Paul illustrates here what I think he says are the three building blocks of a solid Christian community. And he says that those are humility, proximity, and responsibility. Humility, proximity, and responsibility. And this is actually our big idea for today, that Christian community is built by humility, proximity, and responsibility. First, let's talk about the foundation, you could say, which is humility. Paul begins by saying that we need to live by the Spirit, in step with the Spirit. And a marker of living with in step with the Spirit is what he says in verse 25, and that is not being conceited. And then he says, if you didn't get that in verse three, for if you think that you're too important to help someone, don't fool yourself. You're not that <laughs> important. 
You know, I grew up in the inception of the Instagram age. Uh, now we have the TikToks generation. I don't understand TikTok. Our uh, kids and um, students director, Blake Cruz, is like famous on TikTok. I don't understand it, but that's the TikTok generation. I was the, the kid in middle school who grew up in the Instagram generation. And I still remember uh, when Instagram first came out, like everybody just wanted the most likes and the most followers that they could possibly have. Like we just chased it. We just chased the self-obsessed kind of vain glory of I want more likes, I want more followers. And you know what's interesting about that is that the more followers that I got, the more that I wanted, the more likes that I got, the more that I needed that affirmation. It was conceit, it was pride. It was all about putting myself out there and then having other people affirm me. Now, with every post, this only grew and grew. And here's the deal. It's not Instagram's fault. It's not social media's fault. Instagram just drove what was already in my heart, conceit. And conceit is the key word here for Paul. In the original Greek, this word means a state of pride that has no proper basis. So in other words, it's empty. It's, uh, it's, it's not, not properly rooted in anything. And what's interesting about pride or conceit is that when it takes over our life, we either compare or we compete. We compare or compete. And this is exactly what I was doing with that Instagram with my friends. It's like, how many followers do you have? How many likes did you get? I was comparing or competing. And the interesting about conceit and pride is it actually has nothing to do with how good you are, right? We're never satisfied with how we're doing. It's always a satisfaction that's rooted or preoccupied with how we're doing in relationship to other people. It's all about comparison. And so Paul says, look, don't be conceited. And why does he say this about community? Because he says the fruit of conceit is jealousy, envy, and provocation. Now, this isn't just a middle school problem, right? (laughs) If you think about the word provocation, I don't think there's any better word to describe the way that I saw people my age and older dealing with one another on Facebook or Instagram during the election season, right? This conceit, this pride that we know best oftentimes drives us to provoke one another. Now, I'm just using social media as an illustration, but the reality is this happens all over our lives. Think about the way that you talk about people behind their backs. You build them up, you tear them down so that it makes you feel better in your insecurity. We all do this. And where is this all rooted? Paul says it's rooted in conceit, Paul says. Conceit and pride fractures community. And so what is Paul's implication is this. It is that humility actually builds community. Humility uh, has been best described uh, by one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller. I oftentimes quote him. He's pastor or was a pastor in New York. He's older now. And uh, he says that it's a blessed self-forgetfulness. And other people have said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's actually thinking of yourself less, no comparing, no competing, no jealousy, no provocation. And we all need this. This is a foundational building block for a healthy community. But you can't just force it. And that's why Paul says that, well, it's the first building block, I think, here, uh, that it can only be used, this humility, when we're walking in step with the Spirit. He says this in 25. Only then will we be truly 
humble. And how do we get that humility? Walking in step with the Spirit, knowing how much God loves us and how far he went to show his love for us in his son, Jesus. And then our identity will not be in competing or comparing, but resting in his love. That's why humility has also been described as a quietness of heart. Why? Because those who truly are humble rest in an identity that is outside of themselves, their achievement, their performance, their success, let alone comparing themselves, but they are walking in the spirit, they're walking in the love of God that that he has for them. And they know their worth is not rooted in those things, but it's rooted in him. And this gives them a rest. And that humility is the foundation for a strong biblical community. So we got the foundation. The second building block is proximity. You could call this the walls. Paul actually says in verse three that we need to bear each other's burdens. And to bear each other's burdens, we actually have to be in proximate relationship. We actually have to be next to people. We have to be within arm's length of each other. Paul says, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another, but bear one another's burdens, verse two, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now this fulfilling the law of Christ is an incredible word because he's saying that bearing one another's burdens is the fulfilling the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? Paul gives us a hint of this in five verse 14, where he says that all the law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But the Bible here assumes that proximity. How? Do you see how this word one another was said three times there? This word one another in the text actually happens a hundred times in the New Testament. And it's this word alelon. Alelon in Greek means one another. And 60 of those 100 times, about 60 of those 100 times are direct commands to the church on how to and how not to relate to one another. So one might say that one anothering is the basis for all true Christian community. Let me just give you a taste or a flavor for some of these. He says, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, care for one another, serve one another, don't grumble against each other, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, don't grumble against one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, show hospitality to one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another, and finally, love one another. What's interesting about the love one another is the most uh, uh, command of all of those. It happens 16 times. And that's just a flavor. That's not all of them. There's many, many more. But notice how all of these commands require that you're in close proximity with people. You need to be in people's lives to love, serve, challenge, care for, pray for, confess your sins to build one another up, bear each other's burdens. But this bearing one another's burdens is actually really interesting because just as poisonous as pride and conceit are to crumbling good community, so is the issue of self-reliance. Now, I know that we as Americans, we don't like to hear this. We don't like to hear that uh, we need to bear each other's burdens. Not because we don't love other people, but because we are living in a hyper-individualistic culture that is all about celebrating when you can do it yourself, when you don't need any 
help. And for all the good in our culture, this hyper-individualism has fractured this sense of community. It's fractured it. It's made us think that we are self-reliant, that we should keep our problems close to the vest, that we shouldn't lay them at the feet of people who love us so that they can help us. And when he's talking about burdens here, he's not just talking about problems in our life, but he's talking about our sins. That's why he says uh, that we should restore one another, but don't worry because you're not just restoring someone because they're sinful, but lest you be tempted also, be careful, Paul says, right? And so Paul says that bearing one another's burdens, that actually coming alongside of someone and saying, I'm gonna carry that load for you. I'm gonna help restore you if you're broken, is the very thing that fulfills the law of Christ. Jesus was a servant. Jesus bore people's loads. And I really believe that Paul saying this fulfills the law of Christ is saying that this will bring you life, that Christ is life, and that by bearing each other's loads, you actually find what it means to be Jesus and to have people be Jesus too. You, and some of you guys are watching this this morning. And I know that a lot of us have, you know, have struggled with this question at times in our lives, like, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to do? And I don't mean vocationally, I don't mean what you're supposed to do at work, but I just mean, what are you supposed to do? Like, what's the meaning in life? And I think that if we took these as marching orders, we'd have a pretty good example of a vocation for Christians or a job for Christians is to be in each other's lives, to bear each other's burdens. And I promise if you do that, you will find 10 times more satisfaction than if you were a millionaire 10 times over. But this all requires proximity. We must be together. For you, that might be uh, joining a movement group. We have groups meeting in homes. We have people meeting online. I know that right now, uh, community is looks a little bit different in COVID. We got to protect one another, uh, but it's still important. So maybe it's joining a movement group. Maybe it's investing in your neighbor's lives or having them over for dinner. Maybe it's becoming an owner of Movement Church and putting membership in this community, something that's a priority. But ask yourself today, I think most importantly, are there people in my life that are close enough to me in proximity for me to reach over and bear their burdens? And do I have people in my life that are close enough to me in proximity to reach over and bear minds? We need proximity. So we got the foundation, humility, the walls, you could say, proximity. And finally, we got the roof, you could say, uh, and that is responsibility. Paul says in verses four and five, pay careful attention to your own work. Then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare, there's that word again, yourself to anyone else for we are each responsible for our own conduct. I know what you're thinking. You're like, Trig, you just said we're, it's all about bearing one another's burdens and now we're talking about being responsible for our own conduct. What's going on here? I actually think it's a beautiful picture of what Paul is trying to paint. Here's what I think these two verses mean. I think first Paul's trying to communicate that we don't take the work of others or the lives of others as our standard of measurement. So we don't look at other people's lives and we go, they're failing in that way. I'm not, okay, I'm good. Or they have that thing and I want that thing. Okay, let me get that thing and then I'll be good, right? And in relation to the passage that we've already walked through, why I think that Paul says this is that when you're in proximate relationship with people, 
It requires humility, obviously. And when you're in proximate relationship with people and you're called to bear each other's burdens, you know what? Burdens are messy. People are broken. They're sinful. And as human beings, we're tempted at times. If we're honest with ourselves, I've even seen this in my own heart, that we get giddy at times when other people are failing in ways that we have stood firm or people are broken in ways that we are not. So we might get in their lives and help carry their burdens, but we think to ourselves, well, at least I'm not like that guy. (laughs) They're broken in a way that I'm not broken. Our pride loves to see people fall where we stand strong. Because then we're comparing ourselves. We're saying, well, I'm, I'm good because look at their life's a mess and my life's not a mess in that way. But Paul's saying, don't feed your pride by comparing yourself with those who are broken, but just examine your own life. Are you living a way that is honoring to God? Nothing kills community faster than backbiting or gossip that's driven in this desire to have our achievements, performance compared to somebody else's. Paul says there's no room for that in a healthy community. We need to take responsibility for our own lives, for honoring God so that when we have success or we have possessions or we have a position, that whatever we boast in, Paul says, don't boast in it because you're comparing yourself to your neighbor. Boast in it because that's something that you've been faithful with or that you've been gifted They are not your standard. Jesus is. And so let me ask you this morning, have you been responsible with the life that God has called you to? Because responsibility means opportunity. You have the opportunity to bear each other's burdens, to be in each other's lives without getting puffed up that they are going through something that you are not. We all know someone going through something right now. Are you gonna be puffed up or humble? that while their challenges look different than yours, you both rest in the grace of Jesus. So what have we learned? Community is built. Community is built. Community is not something that we can find or that we can just stumble upon, but we have to build community. I am so looking forward to being able to meet back in person again, to really see our whole movement family together. I don't know when that will be, but I'm so excited for that and to see people forge those relationships. Again, I know people are right now in movement groups, but I'm looking forward to that so much. And the building blocks of this community are humility, proximity, and responsibility. Uh, If you know me, you know I love sports. And if you know that I love sports, you know that I love sports documentaries. And one of my uh, favorite sports documentaries that there has ever been is a documentary called Don Wall, D-A-W-N, Wall, Don Wall. And Trust me, if you haven't seen this, look it up when you go home tonight, watch it with your family. It's a great, uh, great um, film. And Don Wall is a documentary that follows the life of a professional climber, Tommy Caldwell. Tommy Caldwell is a pretty famous professional climber and this whole Documentary follows him in his pursuit of climbing the Don Wall, which gets its name from the way that the sun glistens on it. The Don Wall is a part of uh, Yosemite National Park's El Capitan. Now, El Capitan is absolutely un 
believable. It's 3,000 feet high. There's 200 routes to the top in various places, but the Don Wall at this point in 2014 had never been climbed before. And not only that, but Tommy Caldwell was going to do it free climbing, which meant that while he had ropes, and he had tethers to help uh, keep him safe. He used nothing except for the organic face of the rock to get up. <laughs> At the time, this was gonna be the most crazy feat in uh, big wall climbing that there had ever been in climbing. And so Tommy tries to do this for about seven years and he finds that he cannot do it alone. And then we're introduced to this guy named Kevin Jorgensen. Kevin Jorgensen was a kid who grew up idolizing Tommy Caldwell. He was a boulderer, so he's a little bit of a different type of rock climber. And he had gifts that uh, Tommy didn't have. And Tommy could teach him how to carry packs and to get up the wall and actually sleep. They actually slept in tents on the side of the face of the wall, thousands of feet up as they went up in the days. And so they both kind of taught each other and they became this team. They the documentary follows their journey of them prepping and planning and then making their ascent up the rock face. And uh, all through this support and all through this working together, everything that they did was a team. If they completed this, this would be historic. It would be essentially superhuman. <laughs> now, the climb wasn't easy. And a few days in, they got to probably what was one of the most difficult sections in the wall. It was only a few yards wide, and yet it took days and days of Kevin and Tommy. Their hands are blistering. Their feet are just worn out of them trying to get over to the side where they can continue the climb up the Don Wall. Every night they would go to bed and they'd put Vaseline and whatever other healing ailments on their hands and their feet and they'd try again in the morning. And the weather window was closing in. They only had a certain amount of time that they could complete this. Otherwise the weather would become dangerous and they were losing their resources and their time. And finally one day Tommy makes it to the other side. And then for days he has to wait while his partner Kevin tries to get over the other side. For days and days, Kevin can't get over there. And it gets to a certain point where Kevin's like, just go on without me. Finish the rest of the climb. Because the reality was once they got past this challenge, Tommy could make it up by himself the rest of the way. It was relatively easy in comparison. But in a twist of humility, Tommy waits. He says, Kevin, I believe in you. You can do this. And he waits for him. And he come back, comes back down to where Kevin is still struggling and they manage to get through it together. And eventually 19 grueling days later, Kevin and Tommy make it up the Don Wall. It was glorious. It was absolutely stunning. And it was an emotional moment. These two men had done that which Tommy had tried to do for seven years. And yeah, it took 19 days, but they had climbed, free climbed the Don Wall on El Capitan, or as they call it, El Cap. And this, in a way, perfectly illustrates our big idea for today, that community, especially Christian community, requires a deep sense of humility, proximity, and responsibility. You see, like I said, with the Don Wall, Tommy had every opportunity to finish once he had gotten past 
that point. He was looking at this dream that he had dreamed of doing for a very long time and Kevin almost stood in the way of that dream. He had got him, gotten him there, but if Tommy had continued up the wall, he would have finished the climb and glory and fame would have surely awaited him and Kevin would have been a distant memory. But what did he do? He considered Kevin more important than himself. He laid down his pride and he waited for him, even if it meant sacrificing this potentially life-altering accomplishment. He considered Kevin worthy of that sacrifice. That is true humility. It wasn't about Tommy in that moment. It was about Tommy and Kevin. And second, one of the things that you will see if you watch, now <laughs> I'm spoiling this whole movie, but still go watch it. But one of the things if you watch the movie Donwall is that they, you will see that they actually truly needed one another. Like I said, Tommy was a classic big wall climber and uh, Kevin was a boulderer, which is a, a lot less high type of climbing, but it's all free. There's no ropes. And so they had different technical skills and different gifts that served one another in getting up the wall. Well, Kevin had never made it up on uh, a big wall by himself. Uh, Tommy had different things that he needed from Kevin. And in the same way, we uh, it, it, but their proximity, sorry, their proximity helped them get up the wall because they were able to actually serve one another. They were even tethered to one another. They ate with one another, slept in the same tent on the side of a cliff with one another. And in the same way, this is how we are with the church. We have gifts that other people need in the church. And the church has gifts in areas that we are deficient in. And when we come together as the body of Christ that Paul gives us that image in another letter, we're actually able to serve one another in that capacity. But we need proximity. We need to be bolstered by the ways that we're deficient, by the gifts of others and vice versa. And lastly, Tommy took responsibility Tommy took responsibility for Kevin's success and vice versa. Because the reality was, even if Tommy made it up the wall, he had gotten there only to that challenging part because Kevin was with him. And so he took responsibility for Kevin. But ultimately, when Kevin got through, Kevin still had to carry his own load. He had to, uh, be, he had to rest in his own conduct to finish the climb. And ultimately, the story of the Donwall is a great picture of this, but it falls short. But I think scripture gives us a little bit of better picture of what this perfect community looks like. You know, in Jesus, we see perfect humility. We see perfect humility because Jesus is the God of the universe. And Jesus, though he had everything, became nothing. Though he had all the privileges of heaven, he came down to broken earth, laid it all down to become a human like you and I, so that he could not be served, as the scriptures say, but to serve us and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is true humility. He laid it all down. He wasn't comparing. He wasn't competing. He wasn't self-absorbed. He focused on others. And the only way that Jesus was able to lay it all down was because of the security and the proximity that he had with the Father and the Spirit. He was so secure in his love for them and their love for him. When I say them, it's all one God, but he was so secure in this triune relationship, this proximate relationship 
that he was able to bear the cross for our sins. And we were created in the image of that God, a triune God who is relationship at its core. And we need community. We need that proximity. We need that intimacy of relationship. Do you have that with Jesus? Do you have that with community? And lastly, and most importantly, in a sense, Jesus takes responsibility. But he doesn't just take responsibility for his own conduct. He takes responsibility for us and our conduct. If we put our faith in him, he takes responsibility for our burdens. He bears them. He gets beside us and he carries them with us. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. When you follow Jesus, when you pursue a life after him, you put on a burden, but that burden is easy. That burden is life. And Jesus ultimately restores us through that responsibility, through his sacrifice. And he didn't leave us behind on the wall. He came back. He came for us. And he didn't climb or ascend the dawn wall. He ascended a Roman cross to do so. And he gave his life so that you and I could know him, be in relationship with him. And one of the most tangible ways that we can know him is through the community of Christians around us. Is that something that's important to you? Is that something well messy that you pursue? Because the reality is that we will stand responsible before the God of the universe one day. All of us, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, we will be responsible for our actions. And if you're with Jesus, all the hurt, sin, brokenness, he covers it. But if not, in pride, you stand alone on your own performance. And let me tell you, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. You need his covering. And he wants to give that to you this morning. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, can I just uh, tell you he loves you and he wants that relationship with you. And he wants to cover all of that brokenness, that sin, all the places that we've fallen short. Give that responsibility to Jesus. He loves you. And only when that truth melts our heart, only then can we be connected in community in a meaningful way because only then will we be truly humble when we know that God loved us so much he gave himself for us. But we'll be humble because he gave himself for us. He needed to sacrifice himself for us because we're not perfect. We need grace. And only then will we be bold enough to step out in humility will be open enough to be in proximity with others, in vulnerability, and then we'll have the bandwidth to say, I don't just take responsibility for my own spiritual life, but for my brothers and sisters around me as well. And I wanna carry their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you for your goodness and mercy. You have given us a picture of perfect community in yourself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all serving one another, all loving one another. I pray, Lord, that you give us that same vision of intimacy, proximity, humility, and responsibility that you desire us, for, us to have in our relationships with each other in the church, Lord. And I pray that this COVID-19 would be abolished in Jesus' name so that we can get back to meeting together as you command us in your word where we can worship together. But in the meantime, Lord, we praise you because we know that you are in control. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. 
and amen. Thanks for being with us, Movement Church. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. 